This morning, we're kicking off our 2016 vision campaign called Growing in Grace, Faithful Stewardship. Our 2014 campaign was a a first-time-ever chance for us to look at ourselves, to assess uh, our, our identity, to ask the question who we are, and reaffirm some fundamental things that God uh, had been already at that time shaping in us and look to the future. Those fundamentals that we talked through were connected to new ministry initiatives that were launching at the same time, like Celebrate Recovery in October of 14. And uh, previous to the campaign, we had decided that 10% of everything committed, which ended up being $2.25 million, was to be reserved for um, Refuge 686 to help it launch with dedicated leadership and to kickstart the recruitment and hiring of a new pastor of discipleship. And here's the quick summary of how we're doing. Celebrate Recovery continues to meet every single week as it has done for two straight years, and it's growing in depth and leadership. Refuge 686 is continuing to expand. In particular, several families are currently seeking approval uh, to serve as foster families, and the rest of us, many of us are growing in our understanding of what it means to imitate the heart of the Father as one who loves the loveless. And our search team happens to be at work the following week in conducting some, some second interviews to determine whether they'll present to us as a congregation a final candidate. So this 2016 campaign isn't a brand new effort, um, and, and for that reason, we're using the same name, Growing in Grace, because the vision hasn't changed, nor have the foundations shifted, but we're adding faithful stewardship what does that mean? If we start with a basic definition from Merriam-Webster, stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. That something we'll be talking about here and there, but especially at the meal events, that something is the incredible opportunity that we have to secure a new and lasting foundation for the gospel to launch from here and impact generations to come. That something is specifically the purchase of 21 Harristown Road, building and land. And um, that something will also include, just as it did in 2014, two ministry ends uh, for which we'll reserve some of the giving. And those will be to provide dedicated staff leadership over Celebrate Recovery from its own ranks, as well as to reserve funds for future church planting. Um, because this campaign is really an extension of the, the first, uh, what I'd like to do this morning is to reaffirm some of the gospel foundations that we talked about two years ago. Maybe you were back, um, maybe you were here back then two years ago, sitting in the same seats. If that's the case, I would hope that um, th- this will not only be a reaffirmation, a reminder of who we are and what we're about, but perhaps it will deepen your understanding of why we do the things we do. We, we don't um, start ministries just because they're good ideas. We start ministries because they flow out of the vision that we believe God has given to us as a community. And um, I'm convinced that we can't talk too much about the fundamentals of who we are, our vision, our mission, our core values, 
It may be a review, but hopefully it will help you to go deeper, especially if you're active in some ministry, to help you understand how it's connected to other pieces of the puzzle, how it's um, standing upon the same foundation as other ministries uh, in which you ha- may not be involved. And, and for the many of you who weren't around in the fall of 2014, I hope this will give you a good sense of GRC's unique identity and perhaps answer the question as to whether you would find this to be a, an appropriate uh, new spiritual home for you. I, I'd also encourage you all along those lines to go back on our website, graceredeemer.com, where you can find those 2014 vision, vision messages uh, that go into uh, full detail. But this morning, four gospel foundations that we'll uh, address uh, just as we did in 2014. First, biblical community. Here's the pattern we did last year, the year before in 2014, and again in, over, over these past few weeks back into September. We, we set the stage for the vision campaign with three weeks of grace stories, and we did that intentionally. Why? One reason is that as these men and women shared with us, growing in grace is often messy. Spiritual growth so often involves pain, and that growth always happens uh, in, in biblical community, that's the soil in which new fruit is harvested as God's Spirit works in us. The Apostle John begins his first epistle at the very end of the Bible with these words. He says, we have seen life and testify to it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. He is proclaiming something that he has received vertically from God and proclaiming it horizontally. And it's very much connected to this key word in 1 John chapter 1, which is fellowship. It comes from the Greek word koinonia. It it occurs several times in this chapter. When we think of the word fellowship, biblically speaking, it means so much more than hanging out together, enjoying a meal, a cup of coffee in the hallway after services. Koinonia, as the Apostle John intends it, is, is a sharing in the life of God, which is a completely different kind of life. It's a completely new life, which is what biblical community is all about. Koinonia means that if you have this vertical relationship with God, which only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, there's an L-shaped dynamic to it. The vertical naturally overflows to the horizontal. And so biblical community needs to look like being rooted in the promises of God, standing upon the foundation that He has provided to us in His Son, Jesus, and then naturally extending it to other people and sharing what you've experienced from God Himself. This is what it looks like. Three weeks ago, Lisa shared her story on September 11th. And her story affirmed that she had a stable family, food was on the table, there was no abuse or violence, but lack of family community led to anxiety and a sense of low self-worth and then a swing in the opposite direction. As she told us publicly, she began to look to her mom for her identity, for her sense of worth, uh, even after cancer took her mom away. That morning I said, after her story, in leading out my devotional, I, I said, I think many of us can easily relate to Lisa's experience, not because we have identical family dynamics or uh, an identical immigrant family story, but because each of us, without fail, wrestles with the ongoing consequences of being raised by fellow sinners. 
Each of us faces the ongoing consequences of family dysfunction. After the service, someone was waiting to speak to me and shared that Lisa's story, impacting him as a man from a different ethnic background, had um, pushed him out of years of spiritual apathy and stirred in his heart a desire to become the husband and the father, the man of God that God had called him to be. That's what spiritual community does. It takes from the vertical. Lisa had um, received grace from God. She had experienced freedom from her idolatries, and she was naturally extending it horizontally to other people, people she didn't even realize would be impacted in that kind of way. The following week, Fred shared about his personal brokenness, which started as a kid, extended into adulthood. Anger, rebellion, a search for an identity, drugs, armed robbery, months on Rikers Island. But even in prison... Fred said, he sensed God's presence. He, he sensed God drawing him to himself. And after he got out of prison, an old friend called him from across the country and said, Fred, I don't know how much time you have left. Give your life to Jesus. Trust in him. The very act of Fred standing here in front of hundreds of us over two services, boldly sharing about all of his failures and weaknesses and sin patterns was an example of biblical community. Biblical community rooted in Romans 8.1, for example. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fred lived that out for us, for our benefit. If there's no condemnation if from the judge of all the earth, if, if God the Creator it does not condemn me because Jesus the Son took my sin and, and nailed it to His cross through His body, why do I need to hide the ugliness why do I need to um, put up a facade so that you'll think I'm better than I actually am? Biblical community says, no, 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 be, be open, authentic, real, because your identity is not found in a cleaned-up past or a cleaned-up present, but your identity is found through the righteousness of Jesus, which is credited to you by faith. That's biblical community, a gospel foundation. Second gospel foundation is gospel grace and gospel healing. I'll explain what I mean by that. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is interacting with some of the Pharisees. Uh, they're beginning to criticize him and question his teaching. And he, he says this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The interesting thing is, in this context, the Pharisees are talking about sinners. Here's what they mean by sinners. It's the really bad people, in contrast to them, because they were known for their strict obedience to God's law, for being professional law obeyers, if you will. And so to the Pharisees, sinners meant the scandalously really bad people. But when Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners, He means something very different. He's simply referring to those who know themselves to be spiritually sick and in need of healing. For the Pharisees, sinners was a, a bad name, a label you wouldn't want to get stuck with. For the audience hearing Jesus, they already knew they were sinners. They already knew they needed gospel healing to be poured out through gospel grace. You know, whether it's here or in another house of worship, for so many religious people who show up every Sunday 
The gospel is a nice truth. It is a comfortable reality. God loves me. Jesus died on the cross for my sin, yada, yada, yada. You can add all of the nice things that people of religion believe in that drive them to spend time every Sunday morning. But to sinners, as Jesus puts it, not to those who think they're healthy, but to those who know they're sick, to sinners, the gospel is life, like oxygen to a diver like food for a starving person. Author Frederick Buechner is talking about the gospel when he says this, Beneath our clothes, our reputations, our pretensions, beneath our religion, our lack of it, we are all vulnerable both to the storm without, things that are going on outside of our lives, and vulnerable to the storm within in our hearts. And if ever we are to find true shelter, we need to start with the recognition of our tragic nakedness and need for true shelter. After the silence that is truth comes the news that is bad before it is good because it strips us bare in order ultimately to clothe us. The news is bad before it's good. You're sick. In fact, you're terminally ill with this disease called sin. The news has to be bad before it's good because if you don't believe that bad news, you will concoct a false solution. You will not pursue the, this, the antidote to what is destroying you. And the antidote is gospel grace that provides gospel healing. Jesus is speaking to the sick, not those who think they're healthy, but to those who know they're sick. In 2014, October, after Celebrate Recovery kicked off on a Wednesday night with 40 people in attendance, that following Sunday I shared my belief that that date would prove to be a milestone in the history of Grace Redeemer Church, and I still believe that's going to be the case. Because when people recognize their brokenness and they decide to show up on a Wednesday night seeking gospel healing, and some of them openly talk about their brokenness. You don't have to blab your entire history if you come to Celebrate Recovery on a Wednesday night. You can sit in the back row and listen. But when some of them freely, boldly share of their brokenness, their struggles, their pains, without worry about what other people might think, gospel grace is at work. God's people are standing on a gospel foundation, not on the pretense that I have it all together. I figured it out. I'm, a, I'm an obedient person. I've avoided all the pitfalls that the really bad people, the Pharisee definition of sinners, have fallen into. No, none of that pretense and falsehood and Pharisee-like mere religion is tolerated on Wednesday night or, for that matter, on Sunday mornings. That is what GRC is about. Authentic community that is rooted in the only rescue that is provided through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son. The third gospel foundation is our focus on the least and the lost. This uh, is much more outwardly focused. We look at a passage from 2 Kings chapter 7 in the Old Testament. And the context there is that a foreign army is besieging the city of Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. 
And the foreign army has been there for months. The people inside the city, behind the wall, inside the gates are starving to death. And these four lepers who aren't wanted inside and don't care if they die outside come out of the city gates only to find that the entire army has abandoned its camp. And so they start stuffing their face with all the food. They haven't had a a, a square meal in, in who knows how long. And in between bites, they come to their senses and they say to each other, verse 9, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, gospel, and we are keeping it to ourselves. The, the core of that passage emphasizes that God has done this thing. No human being was wise enough, no army was powerful enough. No counselor was savvy enough to figure out a way out. They were doomed. God delivered them. Their very lives were God-given, a result of God's grace. And sharing that kind of gift is the only natural response. Overflow, that taking of the vertical and extending it to the horizontal, that L-shaped dynamic of biblical community. What is the ultimate good news? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the announcement to all of humanity that the King has come to make all things new, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to release us from spiritual slavery. And so sharing that wealth by loving the least and reaching the lost is the core calling of the church that follows after Jesus. What does loving the least look like? The least are the forgotten ones of society. The least are the vulnerable ones who don't have a powerful enough voice to speak out in defense of themselves. After the vision campaign, we launched Refuge 686, I believe that January, which this is what our team calls. I forgot to put it up here, I think. Refuge 686 is a church-based ministry believing that parentless children should find refuge, nurture, and care in loving Christian homes that are supported by a local church family. It is up there. Um, That's what Refuge 686 is. And just last week, the third of our three grace stories, we heard an amazing testimony by the father of five children, all of whom he and his wife have adopted through foster care. Amazing story. My devotional focused on the theme verse of refuge, Psalm 68, 686, and it points to God's description of Himself. David is crying out for justice against his enemies, and God's answer in describing Himself is not what we expect. We would expect, I'm the omnipotent one. I spoke and all things came into existence. I am the king of kings. I have the army of angels at my disposal. And instead, in very different language, God says, this is who I am. You want justice? I'm a God of justice. I'm a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. That's who I am. Refuge is just one ministry that aims to love the least by imitating the heart of the Father through adoption and foster care. That's who we are. Reaching the lost. Most people think of evangelism as a program that the church administers. And every now and then I hear a um, a note of frustration when someone comes to me and says, Peter, we really need to be doing more evangelism here as, as a church. And my first response is, absolutely, I think you're right. But underneath the frustration is usually 
a misguided assumption that God calls us to program as a solution to reaching the lost. But I'm not aware of any biblical example of organizational program that lies at the heart of an evangelistic strategy. Instead, what God calls us um, to do, instead the, the clear expectation of Scripture is that you and I, each of whom have neighbors and friends and co-workers and fellow soccer moms and dads and, and whatever you do in life, uh, Monday through Saturday, you and I are called to be God's hands and feet to reach the lost by overflowing of this gospel abundance. That's what biblical community does. It takes from God, and He has limitless stores, and it extends it outward to other people. You know, Harristown Road offers all kinds of outreach potential uh, to the extent that we've uh, let ourselves dream just a little bit. We think, you know, it's an attractive building. It's located on a main artery, so hundreds, if not thousands of cars pass by every day. It has convenient parking. It has space so that we could um, care for our little ones um, and, and minister Jesus to them that much more effectively. We'd be able to advertise church ministries, stimulate curiosity in the surrounding neighborhoods as to what in the world is going on in there every Sunday morning. People are flocking there. Um, and, and, and what's going on on a Wednesday night? And on Monday night and Tuesday morning, and, but, but none of that, none of that alluring potential matters unless we as a biblical community are praying for those who don't know Jesus and inviting those who don't know Jesus and welcoming them when they walk in our doors. We are God's evangelism strategy. GRC is such a rich, wealthy church because of gospel abundance, because we have been recipients of grace and we have so much to share with others. How can we keep it to ourselves? Jesus Himself in His self-sacrifice, in His giving of Himself, laying down His life, shows us that we gain the most by giving away our greatest treasure. Our last gospel foundation is making disciples. It comes from Jesus' last words that we call the Great Commission found in Matthew's gospel. And you might think this is a repeat of reaching the lost because the Great Commission, people say, is about evangelism and missions, right? World missions, going to the ends of the earth. But that's not what Jesus is really saying. He's, uh, that's not just what Jesus is saying. He's going deeper than, dare I say it, merely talking about evangelism and missions, he issues a clear command to his disciples. And there's one main verb in this whole passage. Um, it's one word in the Greek. It's translated into two words in the English. What he says to his disciples is, make more of yourself. Make disciples. He didn't say, go and make converts and they'll figure out the rest. They'll be fine. Don't worry. He says, invest personally in the lives of others, just as he had done for three years leading up to his death. It was his personal strategy to change the world. Um, it seems like an incredibly inefficient way to accomplish a lot of good, 
to spend all of his time or, or 90% of the time with 12 guys? Why, why couldn't he have, you know, um, all, all of these stadiums filled with onlookers and people asking him questions and preach sermons to the masses, whatever would be the equivalent of Madison Square Garden and, Mef- and MetLife Stadium here in the New York area? Instead, he just hung out with 12 guys. But Jesus was always about people and relationships, not about program and calendar. Maybe he knows something we don't. Real spiritual growth, life transformation, putting sin to death and living as Christ lived, that requires a deep personal awareness of sin. You cannot grow spiritually unless you're growing deeply in your awareness of your own heart and how sinful it is. And folks, that does not happen in the hallway, nor does it happen even in a friendly growth group where the hard questions are very seldom asked. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in growth groups. I'm not saying it can't happen in growth groups. But I'm saying if a growth group is fairly stereotypical where everyone wants to dance around what they're hearing and nobody wants to dig a little deeper and aim some arrows at one person's heart, life change is not going to happen that effectively. Real growth requires living life closely enough with a handful of other people, ideally single gender, so that they have an opportunity to intentionally examine and expose your heart. And that's how real spiritual growth happens. That's not efficient, is it? But neither is spending 18 years raising children into adulthood. But God calls us to invest inefficiently, personally, life on life. And by the way, if you are actively in that life stage, parents, your number one calling in relation to your children is to disciple them not to build their resumes. And I would challenge you to ask yourselves, how does the, the, the bulk of your life line up along discipling your children and building their resumes with your time and your money and, and the mileage on your family car and the, the, the attention given to all of these things? Are you raising your children by investing in them and pointing them to Jesus? The greatest sign of even more vibrant health here at Grace Redeemer Church won't be that I'm doing this, that I'm discipling more and more guys, but that you are doing this, that you are speaking truth into each other's lives to treat sin sickness, which is everyone's terminal disease. Just as Ephesians 4 says, my job as a pastor is to equip God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Ephesians 4 gives us a picture of rich biblical community that is rooted in gospel grace and overflows in its abundance to one another. That is at the heart of Grace Redeemer's vision. I shared this two years ago, and it's still true today. As I continue to preach and to lead, those are my primary job functions here at the church my very next priority needs to increasingly be spending inefficient time investing in a handful of you to equip you and then to mobilize you to do the work of gospel ministry. 
Discipleship understands that this is not about mere reproduction. This is about multiplication. And no doubt Jesus had that in mind when He embarked on three years of intense discipleship as His um, first step in bringing about world change because the twelve would begin to invest in the lives of three or four others or twelve others, and those would invest in the lives of three or four or twelve others. This is why uh, part of the 2014 campaign set aside funds to enable GRC to immediately begin to pursue hiring a pastor of discipleship who could work alongside me to equip many more of you to engage in this work of the gospel. These are the gospel foundations that lie at the core of our vision. These are the without-which-nothing components of our ministry. This is the basis for pursuing a new home. If we didn't have it, we should just quit today because we'd be creating a shell of a building without a soul. The greatest building in the world, with whatever parameters you could dream up, means nothing unless God is at work through His people bringing healing and wholeness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, He is at work, and we are being used by Him. And our prayer, my prayer, join me in this prayer, is that God would do even greater things than this as we walk with Him by faith. Let's pray. Lord, just like the lepers said, You have done this. You deserve all the glory. Grace is a sheer gift, undeserved. What do we have that we did not receive? Everything is of you, God. And we give you praise and we look ahead with faith-filled expectation to what you will do because of Christ, for his glory, And by his name we pray, amen.